hello, oh. Heron. Sorry, we'll need to do that again. Why don't you start? <laughs> I got nothing to say. I said it. You heard it. Ah, well, I heard no one it. else did. Who cares? Okay. Well, I'm going to say hello, Heron. And we get crickets. <laughs> Very good. Ah. So, I actually have a few topics. Do you have any topics you want to raise? Uh, oddly, yes. Oh, interesting. Uh, actually, these may be more technical and may have nothing to do with our listeners, so I figured we get these out of the way. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I got invited to put some of my art up. Oh, yes, yeah. I saw the yeah. posts associated yeah. with that. And, yes. uh, and I put it off till the next time because I didn't, didn't have enough time. <laughs> In any case, that's gotten me to, to be thinking again and with all the rumors about Retina Display IMAX mm-hmm. that, um, I really want to create a screensaver with, uh, with my art. Mm-hmm. And I need somebody who, uh, who can help me do that. Well, Heron, as it would happen, Apple provides a demo screensaver which will do probably 65 to 70% of the work for you. Yeah, yeah. And the remaining 25% of the work, well, I could certainly help you, and our listener Uh Bob Mottram could certainly help you, and maybe even Connor Seitzbo. And, I mean, I think we have a community here of people that are sufficiently programming savvy that probably, in fact... We are people that work at the fruit factory that listen to Stone Age. <laughs> well, there's no giant hurry, except that they may be coming out soon. Mm. But, uh, you know, I mean, the rumors are flying. It really all depends on whether or not there really is a 27-inch, you know, 5K monitor. Mm. Because other than that, the art, it doesn't make any sense. So anyway, the, the question is a technical question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're familiar with the Ken Burns effect? Uh, okay. Tell me about the Ken Burns. Okay, thing. Ken Burns is named after a filmmaker who used this effect uh, in some of his documentaries, which were made from still photographs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was nothing but still photographs. And so what he did is he would pan across the still, the still, you know, or zoom into it or zoom mm-hmm. out from mm-hmm. it, and that became known as the Ken Burns effect. To just mm-hmm. take a still and move around in it, mm-hmm. and that's. One of the uh, functions I want this thing to do, but I want it to do it in a far more dramatic way. Normally, like the zoom is is probably less than ten percent. Mm-hmm. You know, when it paint when it zooms in or backs out, I want it to do it like fifty percent or, or considerably more if we can. That, but it's got to maintain the resolution on the screen. So. Uh, if it if if the uh, if the screen's 5K, then I'm probably going to use 10K images, mm-hmm. so that when you're only looking at a part of the image, it'll still have the the resolution for the whole screen. Is that possible? Of course. Okay, I, I assumed it was, mm-hmm. but since I don't know anything, it's always good to hear somebody say, "Of course, <laughs> yes, okay, all right." Well, that that solves that. That is possible, and basically that's. All I really need. I mean, th- th- you could add other stuff to it, but it really is just about being able to put uh, the images will probably be ten thousand pixels by mm-hmm. six thousand or seven thousand mm-hmm. or whatever, and um, and so I want to make that screensaver, and I certainly don't mind paying somebody 
uh, I mean, who, who can, who actually knows what the fuck they're doing and, and can just say, yeah, duh, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, I you think know? the might, uh, it may not be the screensaver code. I think there's either Mac or iOS sample code for doing that yeah. image zoom in technique as you're describing. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a matter of putting yeah. those two things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a screensaver. It could just be a regular Mac OS X app. Mm-hmm. Of course, and, and also, obviously, I'd want to do something similar for the iPad, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I just, I'm just, I mean, even the monitors I have, these 27 inch monitors, the old Apple monitors are pretty fucking good, but, uh, but with a retina display, <laughs> man, that's, that's going to be stunning. That, that definitely is a medium worthy of any images I can make. <laughs> so. Well, it's all right. Okay. Well, that, okay. So that's crosses that one off. A, a simple thing. Uh, do you ever, uh, buy, have you ever bid for stuff on eBay? I spend a small portion of my week on eBay. Okay. Are there any, there's something I'm, I, I usually just go to buy it now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've never bid for anything in my life. Oh, okay. And anyway, I, I, I'm considering buying a wireless headset. I heard somebody, uh-oh. On one that was, I, I thought it was, I mean, the ones I've heard were crappy, but this sounded great. But it's like $200. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it's on eBay and there's an auction. And, and right now I was the only bidder so far, but I'm assuming it closes next Friday. So I'm assuming mm. Friday, an hour before, mm. <laughs> there are going to be 300 people there. <laughs> and I'm just curious, are there any tricks? Are there any, uh. Here's what I do. I don't use any software, but what I do is, if I can, I present myself online around the time that the auction closes. Uh-huh. What I will typically do is open three windows, and it will set those up to be ready to bid. I think there are two clicks uh-huh. before you actually bid. I then put in a range of prices going <laughs> oh, up. Cool. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Within a three-second period, cycle between them towards the end. Okay. What that typically does is because How, there's... Does that work a good percentage of the time? About 80% of the time. Oh, really? Okay, well, that's... Method. The only yeah. problem is if someone, like, grossly overbids your number, in which case... Well, you set a limit, don't you? Yeah, like, go with the universe in those circumstances. I, I, How much I set up to a will yeah. maximum, but there are yeah. people that do, like, micro-increments, in- and there's all this kind of strange sniping software, which never really works in practice. Well, I know there is software like mm-hmm. that, you know, but I really am not... This is a one-time deal, and, you know, that'd be more trouble than, you know, than just going out and buying the things for 200 bucks. Well, you know? eBay tells you <laughs> the number of people that are watching the item as well. Oh, really? Yeah, so you can get that information too, which is useful. I mean, my... What do I have to do? I'm I'm on that page right now. What Does it tell you, the, are you on it on an iOS device or are you on it on your I'm Mac? I'm on my Mac. It doesn't show in any number of watches. Uh, I'm not quite sure. You know, it's co- quite a busy page. Uh, search for where the word would I watch. Look? Just search oh, for the word oh, watch. Oh, what good idea. I never thought of that. <laughs> okay. Does it say uh, that there are any watches? No, it just says uh, add to watch list. That's the only Okay, thing so if there are no up. watches, then you'll probably... I mean, I would go on the site closer to the time and just, you know, just, shore it yeah, up just, if you need yeah, to. Yeah, but, um, oh, yeah. But it'll be know. interesting to see if there are any other bids, you know. Yeah. I would imagine there must be because this is, the bid is $70 and it's going to, it sells everywhere else for 200 Well, it depends if there's interest in the item. I think, I yeah. mean, a lot of the stuff that I bid for on eBay is very eclectic stuff, sometimes 
books, sometimes other items. But I tend to avoid the things that are popular just because it's a waste of my time and energy. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. That's why I'm, I'm thinking of this. That there, I can't be the only guy who's stumbled onto this. But. I, when, I mean, through model rail radio, I get exposed to a wide variety of wireless mic configurations. I, I mean, even the high-end ones, I've encountered problems with, with model rail radio. So, I mean, my preference yeah. would be through Stone 8 recordings that you maintain your current setup and use well, it Well, if, if the other thing doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, then I'll, then I won't use it. Yeah. I mean, if it's not, if it's not at least as good as this, yeah. if not better, then, then I won't use it. But, uh, but still, you know, it would be nice to be wireless. And, and what I heard was stunning. Mm. Uh, what so and and what I'd heard before was just awful, mm. you know. I mean, just the voice quality. I mean, mm. just and it was br- and, and breaking up. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just it was just ridiculous. Mm. And these were things that cost a lot of money too. Yes. I'm assuming it's gotten better since then. Well, like I say, I mean, people that <laughs> even buy them in the near future, I recommend wired all the way. I yeah, mean, I, I think, think yeah. until the technology improves. So you've never seen a wired or a wireless set that you would buy, no, no matter how much money. Well, if if it was passive, if I was listening to music through the wireless headset, then that would be fine. No, but, but no, in, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about exactly. this. Yeah. In, in this format, I think wire is still, wire is my safety net. Yeah. And yeah. until well, I see something that's dramatically yeah. better. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, like I say, that was the impression I got from, um, talking to someone who is using one. Yeah. And, um, but you don't know, I mean, if that person lives away from a wide variety of Wi-Fi signals, for example, if they live out in an area where they don't have crossing Wi-Fi signals, then they're probably in a completely different place than you are. So I think there are a variety of factors that can cause oh, yeah, yeah. interruptions and noise and all this yeah. other kind of crap. And yeah, yeah, wired certainly works. <laughs> you can't beat that. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's good that it, they didn't have it for buy it now. <laughs> for yes. good, I still may if I can get it for seventy, I might I might go for it. Well, but, as an experiment alone. I mean, if you can afford yeah. to, if you can afford to part with seventy for something, you know, that that's so work, weird. It's... The whole idea of, of of being able to throw away seventy dollars <laughs> on a on a bet yes. is so out of my entire life's experience. Yes. But you're in a new world now, Harry. Well, I, I know that. Well, I'm I'm beginning to to know that. You know, I mean, I think uh, I've got. It's like a ship at sea. When it changes direction, <laughs> it has a lot of momentum. Yes. You know, and turning that ship around. <laughs> That's a good a good analogy. Yeah, is, is a problem. And if you do it too fast, you could damage the ship. See, that's mm. the other because there is so much momentum. In any case, uh, it, it just strikes me that the idea. Well, that's why I'm thinking about these doing these screensavers again because I, I never would buy anything like that. But it, it, it's just slowly beginning to dawn on me that there are lots of people who buy lots of shit for no fucking reason at all, other than they got the money and that looks cool. So fucking I'll buy it. It's only five bucks. You know? Yes. But that's like I say, it's taken me thirty years to get comfortable with that idea. It is curious <laughs> that you live in not only the country that kind of created neo-capitalism, but you live in an area that is so consumerist in every possible way, and yet you've created your little hermitage. Well, it's necessary. I mean, (laughs) in order to not work much, 
uh, I didn't have much money, so I, I just had to find a way to live on a minimal amount of money and mm. get what I wanted and no more. Mm. And so I've, you know, and that's just basically what I've done for 40 years. Yes. But all of a sudden, I've got Apple stock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I, well, anyway, that, that's, I'm still, I'm still coming to terms with that and, and selling art to it. I mean, yeah. that whole, it's, it's just such a weird idea. You're one bourgeois <laughs> motherfucker, Heron. You've just got to embrace <laughs> I know, man. I just sold out completely. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, so enough of that. Very uh, cool. I got a speeding ticket the other day. Oh, wow. Which I, I mean, deserved many times over. Uh-huh. So uh, I can't really complain about it. But in, in this case, um, I, I was going by a school, okay, uh, which is a 35 mile an hour zone, 25 when there are children yeah. present. Okay. And I was going 44. At least that's what he with children wrote, wrote present. No. Well, that's what he cited it, but there were no children present. Uh, it, can it was be at 719 in the morning or in the evening. In the, in the morning. Ooh. Yes. The first class is at 755. Okay. And I drive by there every day and I never see any kids anywhere at seven. I go by there between 715 and 719. They may have some strange rule associated with that. I would read up on your local. Well, well, well what I'm thinking is the sign says 25 and then in great big letters when children are present. Yeah. Which would imply if there are not children present, then the speed limit is 35, not 25. Yeah. And, and I could very easily just go down there and video, you know, and Take use photos or yeah, video. Well, yes. no, I can do a video, yeah. you know, and, sh- and pan around and show and then video, uh, my iPad with the date and time on it. Yeah. And, and I, and I could fight this, I'm thinking. Yes. You know, uh, and I've checked every day since then, practically, and I've looked at it, you know, to see, and actually one day, uh, yesterday, I did see one child there, mm. uh, about a block from the school. Yeah. Uh, and then he was with his mother. Yeah. <laughs> they may have a rule that says plus or minus an hour from the class time or some time frame, well, but, which doesn't actually require yeah. the children to be present. In which well, case, the sign post doesn't the sign uh, have anything? No, actually, you find you find signs are less required in particularly in California. I would read online. Well, I, the thing is, I don't really give a shit. I, I, I'm just trying to. That's the thing. That's what I wanted to get your. One option is to fight it, mm-hmm. okay, to invest the energy and the intention into making a video and the extra time of that, doing that yeah. and, you know, and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the, uh, and, and not have to, I mean, and the price of the ticket is fucking $425. Yes. <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe it. Yes. So, so I'm thinking I, I could go to court, fight it. You know, maybe, maybe not. Who knows what the odds are there and get it dismissed. Um, the, the other, the really the only alternative is to just plead guilty and go to traffic court. Mm. You know, spend the 400, it's going to be even more because you got to pay, not traffic court, traffic school. And you can do that online now, apparently. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as traumatic as having to go and drive somewhere. Mm. Uh, in any case, those are the two alternatives, and I'm certainly the latter is the simplest. Uh, you know, just send them a fucking check and say "fuck you" on it, <laughs> and 
Or I could, again, there's the righteous part of me who wants to go to court. Yeah. But I, even in that case, I was still doing 44 and a 35. Yes, which is <laughs> so. a hard plead at the best of times. So what's the delta in fine based on if children are present versus if children aren't present? Well, it's, it would just be a 44 and a 35 instead of 44 and a 25. Oh, okay, and it's the delta which the fine is well, based I, on. Actually, I, I don't really know. Okay. You know, yeah, I, I don't know if he's claiming children were present or not. Because there there weren't, I know that. Mm. Is there any information on the ticket itself? Uh, all sorts of information, but nothing that specific. Nothing that pertinent. Well, I haven't looked at, uh, for that. I, I'll have to go back and take a look at it. So I, I'm not, I, I'm leaning yeah. to going ahead and paying the fucking thing yeah. and going to night school because that'll knock some money off my insurance. Yeah. But, you know, but I'm just curious if you've got another take on it or. Well, I always do, and it's funny actually because I've had a recent incident with the my former bank in the UK. Of a similar nature. However, I wasn't speeding in a school zone. I was just trying to cash a check that they'd sent me that was my money. <laughs> Stupid me. Um, but How yeah, dare you? I do factor, and it's interesting, actually, because it came down to, even though the total charges were about 300 leveled against me, I'd given some of the money to my wife, so my wife gave me back some of that money, which means it's a smaller increment. So I'm in the kind of $200 zone associated with fighting it. Yeah, And I kind of decided... To walk away but then yes. i came back yeah. and then i got more documentation these kind of things it really depends on what you feel your time and your emotional energy well, is yeah worth. yeah that yeah it's that's it and, yeah. and i'm you know like i say but there's also the righteous side of me <laughs> you know well, you were, God damn already, it, that fucking cop i even said at the time but there aren't any kids present any prison kids yeah. present and he said he just dismissed that <laughs> you know, well, he, he just basically uh, said, so what? Fuck you. I'm giving you a ticket. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have quotas, you know, Heron. Well, I don't know whether they do or not. But they in do. any case, they there's a part quotas. of you that feels wronged about this. Well, you were and, doing, and, if you already acknowledged you were doing something wrong, your current acknowledgement is how wrong is it what yeah, you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I was. St that's the other thing is that I don't know whether how. I mean, whether if there's some flaw in the original. Well, I also have heard. I don't know whether this is true or not. That if the cop doesn't show up, if you go to court, yep. that they dismiss it. Yep. So there's. I don't know what the odds of that happening are, but um, assuming he does, yeah. Um, well, if he's working on a quota system, and if he was working at 7.14am, and if he gave you the ticket and intentionally put down that children were present in these circumstances... No, he didn't. I don't know if he said that. He just said, it, he marked it as a 25, and there... Well, yeah. actually, I'll have to look more carefully. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's important every... every but anyway, group. through all of this, my yeah. money is on that he will come to the... Because yeah. if it gets okay. dismissed, it's well, taken yeah, off his well, quota. Even if he does, yeah. 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 And even if he does, yeah. again, I still... Well, again, that's the issue. I mean... But that's just a big gamble, you know, whether or not I can present a compelling case and whether the judge, you know, got laid last night or not yeah. Yeah. and and all of that. And just plus inv I'll be invested in it, just like I'm still pissed off about that an accident I was involved in 15 years ago. <laughs> uh -huh. Now we get to the root interest in this whole well, circumstance. You haven't heard that story? Tell me the story. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's relatively simple. I was pulling out of a parking lot. Well, you, ha you have to understand the, the time of day. It was 5 o'clock. Sun was setting 
in the west, and it was due west, so it was around the equinox, one of the equinoxes. Mm -hmm. And it was on the horizon, really bright, and um, sh and shining straight down the street mm -hmm. uh, that, that I was pulling, pulling to. That I was pulling onto. So people driving one way uh, had were driving into this blinding sun. Yes. And people driving the other way in the street were uh, seeing everything very clearly. Yes. <laughs> you know. So and I was pulling onto this street from a parking lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what happened is this a, a lady driving into the sun, blind essentially was trying to turn into the same driveway that I was pulling out of. Mm -hmm. But what she did was, there, and there were cars coming from the other direction, so she had to hurry up if she was going to beat them, okay? And so she, rather than coming all the way up to the turn-in and turning a sharp turn, she cut the corner mm. and started driving really down the other side of the street to get there in a hurry. And she sideswiped me, mm -hmm. uh, in just as I had pulled out, uh, you know, my nose was maybe two feet into the intersection. Mm -hmm. And she was coming up from the other side. So in, in any case, it, and I, and the, everything about the case was, was so obvious. The photo, I took photos of it and, and made some drawings and, uh, and, and her story was that I hit her and my story was that she hit me. And if you look at the evidence, the photos, you couldn't really get come to any other conclusion, you know. And I had photos and I made some diagrams and I went to court over it. And uh, the fucking judge just like didn't really pay any attention, mm. you know. He mm. just he just uh, said I pulled out into the street and it was my fault. <laughs> Yes. He wasn't really interested in looking at the photos yes. and comparing the photos to the story of where she said I hit her and where I say she yes. hit me and what damage you would expect if it had happened the way she said it happened. And if you look at the photos, you see, well, gee, that doesn't look like that at all. You know, but in any case, I lost, you know, with what I thought was, you know, and I'm still pissed about it. Here's my That's, advice, Heron. Yeah. Pay the fine. Do the online course. Yeah, uh, thanks. That's what I was leaning towards. Yeah, just I, I don't want to be thinking about this 20 exactly. years from now. Exactly. <laughs> You've got better things to be spending your time thinking about. You know? You're right. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, yeah, so that settles that now. Yeah, we're set. Um, okay, and one more thing, just uh, since, well, this is getting to people that don't probably do my Facebook page very often. Um, I'm probably, the odds are pretty good. This is just a, a commercial for my art show. Okay. Uh, or not my art show. It's a, there's, a, there's an art gallery in downtown LA that's going to do a, a thing in a couple of months in mm -hmm. November or uh, December. And I've been invited to submit some works for it. And but it's really expensive to get my stuff printed because they're huge. It's like more than $150 for each image. So although $75 on a gamble, <laughs> I can live with paying $150 um, for these things is sort of a stretch for me. So I started thinking... If anybody out there is interested in playing along with this, um, I've, I've put a, a new uh, album up on my Facebook page called Imaginary Landscapes 3, which are basically 22 now images that I'm considering entering. And But 22 images at 150 each, 
<laughs> you know, adds up. So what I'm thinking, if you out there have seen my art and like it and want to play along with this, for $200, you can go to my Imaginary Landscapes 3, um, what do you call it, album mm-hmm. and pick one of those pictures and that will, I will submit that in the show. Now, now, one of two things will happen in the show. Either, uh, if it get, it'll be sold for a thousand and forty dollars or thousand one hundred and forty dollars if mm-hmm. it sells. Um, so, and the gallery uh, splits at 50 50 with the artist. So basically the possibility is if the one you pick sells, I will split 50-50 with you, my split that I get from the gallery, which would be $285 for your 200 That's one possibility. The other possibility is if it doesn't sell, he's going to mail me the print, and I'll have this gorgeous print, and you will have bought it for $200 when it would have sold for, if it had sold, <laughs> for $1,140. That's my standard, I, I charge a dollar a square inch for my art. It's The image here is 30 inches by 38. It's They're huge. Anyway, if you want to get, so that's the deal, uh, 200 bucks, you either get back $285 or you get the print uh, mailed to you and then you have to get it framed and stuff. Um, I think that's all I have to say about that. I don't want to argue with you, Heron, but... Sure you do. The, the investment there, you've marked the returns as low as possible for the people investing in your artwork. Well, I mean, I didn't understand so what Why? Why don't you charge $2 a square inch and actually make it a considerably more lucrative... Oh, because... Uh, no, no. The, first, the most important thing to me is to get these print, uh, these images printed and in front of p- as many people as possible Certainly. right now. Yeah, but the ability to the get issue. just two hundred and eighty dollars back on your two hundred dollar investment seems like no, no, you're no, underselling everyone. Yeah, no. Well. It's, yeah, you're right. Ah, okay, I agree. Yeah, I'm just saying you can't lose anything. No, ideally, who I would hope would be doing this would be a person who really hopes it doesn't sell and uh. will have and will have the print that they would have had to pay eleven hundred and forty dollars for yeah. for two hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean the, the, that's that's why that's the only all I'm saying is the entity that makes out like the bandit here is the art gallery. Oh, of course, but that's, yeah. it, we live in, listen, I'm not going to go through that. Yeah, I understand. That's why the prints cost so much. If I own, well, you know, he had to buy the printer and he has to buy, but I mean, basically what he's charging more than $150. Oh, ah, this is the I, bit you didn't explain. Is the art gallery actually does the printing and the framing, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they, ah. that, right, that's part of the deal. Ah, okay. yeah, because they, it's, because it's a gallery that they, and they have got bills to pay. I Fair understand enough. that, yes. you know? Okay. And so that's, that's the, the deal. But luckily, they use the same print technology that I am addicted to, which is Epson printers and inks. And, and the print, the print, the printer they've got is exactly perfect for this job. So uh, I, I couldn't get it done any better. So uh, it, what I'm hoping is to get as many of them printed as possible. I don't care whether they sell or not, really. <laughs> I just want, I want to see them. Well, I, they'll be on, well, they'll sell to the people who, who uh, sponsored them. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so that's the deal. You have, I submit them the, uh, you know, the file, uh, a Photoshop file with the image on it, mm-hmm. and they print it on their 44 inch Epson, uh, T9700 printer, which okay. is 44 inches wide. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
And if people don't want the artwork, they just want to give you. Oh, the that, 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 that's thing. just. Yeah. Oh, they can. Oh, anybody can give me two hundred dollars okay. anytime they want to, but I'm not going to give them two hundred and eighty-five back, unless they they're in doing on this deal. No, no, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying yeah. if the people at the end don't necessarily want the artwork, like oh, they live well, in a small apartment. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Will you keep the artwork in that circumstance? I mean, are there, are there no, other I'll options for the artwork? Them. I'll give them their two hundred dollars back. Oh, okay, okay. And you'll keep the artwork. Well, I, if uh, my deal is, well, yeah, listen, I'll I'll do it any way they want. Okay. <laughs> I had thought about that. I, I see. I can't imagine doing this as an investment, as a as a monetary deal. Yes. You know, hey, I can put in two hundred bucks, and the worst that can happen is I'm going to get two hundred eighty five back in a month. Which actually isn't that bad a deal, but it's small time for sure. Certainly. You know? And um, I would hope that people are, are, would say, submit this one, and I hope like hell it doesn't sell. <laughs> Very good. I actually have a wide variety of topics in front of me. I might as well start with the strip thing that I've just come back from. Yes. Because that provides a lot of uh, bits and pieces of, uh, well, stories of interest, potentially. I've spent... The past eight days traveling by road over mainly Southern California, um, in large part really as a holiday opportunity for my spiritual advisor. We started by going to Solvane, and Solvane nominally, historically at least, was a little Dutch town somewhere between, <laughs> I think, St. Louis Obispo and Santa Barbara. It's in that yeah, kind of area. Some, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had erroneously thought... What is there now? Uh, well, you're, that's what we're going to find out, right? Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, cutting to the chase, Harris. So, we, we went there under the guise, and I've been there once before. We went there once when um, I was flying out of LA and my wife was going to see her family. So we had dinner there one trip down. But this time we decided to stay overnight and actually utilize it as an opportunity to explore something. Mm-hmm. So... Somewhere through this exploration of Solvang... How, how many people actually live in Solvang? Mm, hard to, hard to approximate. I would say probably somewhere between five and ten thousand. Okay, and it's, it's an isolated community in some sense. I mean, that there's, yeah. there's sort of wilderness between it and yeah. the next place. Yeah. And, and so the, how many square miles is this thing? Because um, I was there once so many years ago, I don't even remember. Well, what, do you remember what it was like when you were there? I, I just have a sort of vague, well, there was a lot of tourists around. Yes. You know, yeah. It That's, was all a bunch of fucking tourists. Yes. The thing that has changed, I think, about Solvane, well... <laughs> now there's more tourists. No, no, now there are actually fewer tourists. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, but it's mainly now... I mean, it Now they're all be, poor because that's how they made their money, off the fucking it's, tourists. It's... <laughs> I think historically it was more about children and families, and now probably <laughs> half, maybe slightly more than half, are these kind of gourmet-tasting winery <laughs> places. Yeah. Which um basically have taken over the town. Really? There are a few kind of quaintish shops. I missed going to the second-hand bookstore. I wandered into a few places, including the first place we went into, that sold, like, Christmas decorations, but at the very back, and this is, this is a, this is an audio view, folks, here. There were, um, I'm looking at this thing and I can't even describe what it is. Music boxes. Mm. Ah, yes. You can actually take it a little bit further away. Oh, it's a little close? Yeah, that was sort of maxing out. Okay, let me, let me try it again. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I love those. 
still too loud. Anyway. Yeah. This is the second one I purchased, and there's a theme here, folks. You know, I'm getting a stereo effect. Is that something intentional? I don't know. It'll be interesting how to play could it back you, in the How could I be getting stereo from you? That's a very interesting question. Anyway. It I must just, be a malfunction. That's what <laughs> Well, I it could actually be the, yeah, the, the frequencies are actually, because they're pretty good resonating frequencies. Anyway, I found now that they, these are not um, standard music boxes. These are things that you actually turn. But you can now get a wide selection of Beatles songs oh. <laughs> as music boxes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, with technology today, you can get any fucking thing you want. Yeah, you can actually make your own music boxes yeah, now right. with yeah. your own compositions. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah simple. So, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, a MIDI to that is is about as simple as it gets. Exactly. So I was quite captivated by this, and oh, I yeah. thought this is going to yeah. at least utilize some of the experience while we're in Solvain. Uh, but yeah, there was a, I mean, the main thing that struck me was just the quality of service wasn't quite there, and you could tell that this was just a really depressed little town that was... So at the Christmas store, there was large discussion about how, you know, these were all family-run businesses, because we went there, when we went there last time, these sh- shops were all shut. And we kind of joked because we went to the Solvang Cafe this time and it was shut. So you have this kind of slowly going out of business. It's uh, it's prime and and it's past that now. Yes. And, and so what is there now? Well, now you say there are these gourmet winery things, yes. but who the hell, is there anybody tasting. going there? Um, not really. Okay, I mean, so they'll be gone exactly. then pretty soon, too. It's completely and then, lost and then, its charm. Yeah, and the quality okay, yeah. of service that you get in the various places are, <laughs> yeah, you know, borderline port or appalling. Yeah, so yeah. the other thing that I found through this was <laughs> in conversation with my spiritual advisor kind of halfway through the trip, it turns out that in her childhood, she'd actually fallen asleep in the back of a car and not gone into Solvane at all. Mm-hmm. So she hadn't had any childhood experiences there whatsoever, but we went there once again. But it was an interesting kind of, you know, stepping stone before we got into LA. We spent, I think, three days in LA total. Um, we had two days for... There was a Netflix event on Saturday night. So most of it was leading up to this Netflix event. I think I mentioned previously that when I was about 13, I went to, um, I guess what's now called middle school, what I call junior high in LA. Yeah. And I lived for about a month in Westwood with my father and stepmother. Almost everything in that area has completely changed. I mean, Westwood Boulevard is still relatively similar. We found an Indonesian restaurant that I'd eaten at in 90 when I was there and also 99 when I went back briefly. And we found out... I found myself in front of the middle school that I had attended as well, which had gone from a junior high to a middle school and then was being pulled down to become a new charter school, which kind of showed an evolution in, you know, education in the US, basically. (laughs) But it was very strange because for me, that area really is an emotion more than anything. And I need to be in that area to get that emotion. We've talked historically about my experiences, um, you know, going to, yeah. going to junior high and that part of LA. And also it was, it was a very vibrant time in, in LA. What, what, what year was? 1990. Yeah. So, you know, minimal clothing on the women, kind of biker shorts, skin uh, type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. Well, like, listen, man, LA has always been awesome as long as I've been here. <laughs> yes. 
So, yeah, we did some wandering around <laughs> that area of LA. We went through, you know, Beverly Hills and Hollywood, and we went actually up to the observatory, um, and the road was closed at the kind of last, probably, 400 yards of the observatory. So we went down <laughs> How the nice. Other side. Yeah, let them know. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, we, well, it was packed, actually. It was very funny because ah, there were lots of locals yeah. and what have you up there at that time. But, yes, we just had a kind of general, you know, time in LA experience, and then we went to the Netflix do, and there was absolutely no information given out to, you know, the Netflix employees leading into the uh, do. And we arrived there and there was, you know, the usual kind of kitschy stuff. And then... Oh, well, were you wearing a tuxedo? Yes, yeah. I bought one, actually. Oh, right. And, okay. and so, yes, I was there. My, you know, my spiritual advisor was wearing an evening gown and we went around and <laughs> met a few people and all this kind of stuff. And there were Did you wear your railroad hat? With no, you? no, no. <laughs> oh, it was all it was all very civilized. And then we realized that uh, there was probably going to be a live band playing. And my spiritual advisor said, "Well, why don't we kind of mingle up at the front near the live band?" And we, you know, we asked various people what was going to be happening, and we realized that there was a VIP section as well. And yeah, the names of the VIPs now have completely skipped me. Um, there was one uh, tall comedian who was in the Wedding Crashes and the Watch and various other things. His name escapes me, and he was there, and he did an intro. And then I realised that I was actually literally pressed up against the bass speaker, <laughs> and this kind of modern day crooner Robin Thicke came out, who you know is still a heartthrob, even though he's been divorced and all his drug hit and womanizing history has been exposed through that divorce nobody gives a shit about exactly. that and then i realized that i was actually levitating as the bassist was playing it was one of these surreal experiences i mean i used to <laughs> dj i used to go to nightclubs and this kind of stuff but i haven't really done anything like that in the past 15 years and it was really quite a phenomena i mean my spiritual advisor helped Robin Thicke off the stage in one case and he went down and danced in the audience and he was very, very sweaty. In fact, he covered me with sweat um, through the performance. Uh, and then we decided that this had been a good... I mean, there was still a couple of hours going on, but we decided, you know, this had been a good night out. And we decided to wander back to our hotel. By the time I got back to the hotel, one of my co-workers, who's friends with me on Facebook, had posted a photo of Snoop Dogg. And Snoop Dogg was the next performer. Now, I'm not a huge Snoop Dogg fan. I've got a few of his, you know, his collaborations and various things that I own. But we thought that would be a night. I need to point out here, and this is both for your benefit, uh, for Marie and Justin, for Julie Field, for various other listeners in the broader area that I was traveling through, that I realized very early on that this was just going to be a sleep deprivation tour for me. And that I basically wasn't going to be in any condition to meet other people or do anything, really, other than the kind of set designated duties that we had. Uh, we got back to the hotel room the first That's night. good to hear, because I was planning on having to kill you. Yeah, well, so, I, I realized thank that. Thank you, I appreciate so, yeah. it. So, uh, the first night, there was a crying baby at various points of the night. The <laughs> second night, we got back to the hotel room, and there was, like, a local salsa bar that played really very, very loud music until about 2 a.m., and yeah, then we got out of <laughs> then we got out of downtown LA. And my spiritual advisor, uh, I, I was kind of, I said to her, "Where do you want to go for breakfast?" Because we were getting out of LA, and she said Disneyland. So we went to Disneyland for breakfast, and I was photographed looking really much the worse for wear in front of a strange bear. And then, um, 
there was a particular cloth shop that my spiritual advisor wanted to go to, and I decided that... In in Disneyland? No, actually in Anaheim, oh. I think okay. it was. But I wanted to go and see Brookhurst Hobbies, which is in your part of the world, on Brookhurst Street. And so I said, well, can we stop off at, uh, you know, Brookhurst Hobbies? And I spent about 20 minutes in there. I bought half a dozen books and, you know, kind of looked through their wares. And we ended up in... Um, Back in Anaheim, I wasn't actually... I mean, let's talk a little bit about your part of the world. <laughs> because I do actually thoroughly recommend listeners check it out as a kind of really? tour. See, yeah. my part of the world encompasses about, you know, <laughs> I don't know, 500 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't actually done the mapping. Are you anywhere near Brookhurst Street? Oh, yeah. That's okay. a couple major... I mean, Euclid is is mm-hmm. the first major okay. intersection, and then uh, Brookhurst. Oh, I know exactly yeah. where that is. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I pointed out, actually, to my spiritual advisor yeah. that the Euclid as a street name is very um, interesting. Anyway, the thing that struck me about your part of the world, aside from how many uh, places were kind of in the kind of out of business transition, was the number of kind of topless bars and strip clubs. (laughs) Really? Perimeter the edges, yes. Ah, interesting. I mean, maybe we just drove past them, but we had... That's weird. Honestly, I have no knowledge of... I mean, I'm I'm sure... There's one that I'm vaguely aware of, I Mm -hmm. think. But I have no awareness of that. They must; those must be on streets I've just never driven on. What major streets? Well, I, I know, I but don't I don't go. Were... You know, yeah. I, they may be, but if I don't, basically, I only drive between where I live and where I work, mm. I, and I use the same route every day. Mm. You know, so I don't drive around the area at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a market I go to mm. several times a week. Okay, I got Is that, that the down. Ralphs on Brookhurst Street? Uh, we drove uh, past a Ralphs on Brookhurst. Yeah, it's, yeah, right. No, it's on, I think it's on Euclid, though. Is that the corner, though? Corner yeah, it's on Euclid the corner. Yeah, well, it's set back from the corner. Certainly, but there's other yes, stuff. Yes. There's some sort of uh, pharmacy or something. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, that Ralphs. That's my Ralphs, man. Very that's good. a great store. I like that place. <laughs> I, I, I noticed that in my I mind. Used to go. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, we ended up at this cloth store, and um, the car battery was flat by this point. So we then toured more of the kind of Anaheim Garden Grove once we'd recharged to get a fresh battery and then to get to where we were going. My wife grew up in Brea, mm-hmm. and we spent probably about two hours just driving around Brea, yeah. uh, seeing, you know, old houses. Yeah, I think old, I'd been to Brea places, previously yeah. with her, but we hadn't done quite the same level of detail. Yeah. And then we headed over the hill, as the locals say, into the kind of Hesperia, uh, Victorville, uh, feeling area. Uh, shit, you're making me want to drive back to my house in, on, in Lakewood. Ah, Lakewood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Haven't been there in many years. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Anyway. I, uh, <laughs> so, yes, I realized that we have a listener, Julie Field, that lives in that part of the world. In fact, we, we passed the area that um, she uh, manages, the store that she manages, mm. on a couple of occasions. And similarly, I thought about, you know, where Marie works as well, that we could drop in there for you know, a sandwich <laughs> at some point. There were all these possibilities, but yeah. I was really well worth for wear by that point. And the thing yeah. is, when I stay with my in-laws, I just have to shut myself down. Like, you know, I have to basically yeah. <laughs> prep for it and then just deliver myself yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and just play along. <laughs> yeah. But the interesting thing about that area, the kind of Hesperia, Victorville, feeling area, is just how... I mean, when when I came back to the US in 2005, my spiritual advisor actually and I lived with the in-laws for about three months 
I really didn't think I would get work back in the US in any reasonable length of time before we moved back. And was very hesitant, actually, to move back to the US. Because it just struck me as absolute insanity at that time to come back to the US when there weren't tech jobs that were like the tech jobs that I was doing or had left. And yeah. also the possibilities were doing things like living in Las Vegas, which seemed to me to be complete insanity <laughs> at the time. So the three months that we... Well, were you wrong? <laughs> <laughs> the three no, the three months that we lived in uh, Victorville were very much the emotions of, and I did a lot of physical oh, exercise. Victorville, I've never even been to Victorville, I but been. I already feel like I know it. <laughs> it's hard to describe. I mean, and, the desert. Yeah. I mean, well, there's not much more to be said, is there? Well, actually, Monday Victorville is considerably more built up. I mean, out of the out of the locations that I've named, Phelan is the end of the earth. I mean, Phelan <laughs> is you have. 10-acre empty square desert properties surrounding um, two-and-a-half-acre parcels, some of which are dirt. Uh, dirt track driving for, you know, 20 minutes. And just really very... I mean, then you've got to appreciate that people actually live there. So you have to wonder what the psychologies of the people that well, live there. Yeah, well, yes. it probably matches them quite well. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite okay. good that they live there. Yeah, as we were driving in, um, I mentioned to my spiritual advisor that, you know, Alice and Julie lived there. And really... In Victorville or, or Phelan? Um, in... Um, <laughs> In the town between Victorville and Phelan, whose name <laughs> okay. I can't, uh, escapes me. But anyway, did she live there? And looking at her, and I pulled up her Facebook stuff. Probably so I could, Possum Gulch or something. No, it's, um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> Atlanta. Atlanta is what it's called. It was my spiritual advisor's experience, only uh, Julie is about four years younger. But, I mean, basically exactly the same experience as, you know, living out in the desert yeah, with, yeah. you know... That's where Frank Zappa grew up. Yeah. It was probably very different when Frank Zappa grew up. <laughs> yeah. Far fewer traffic lights than Frank Zappa grew up there, I'm sure. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't... I guess it ha has it changed since then? Is oh, yeah. No. Even in the times that I've been going back there, the main thing that has happened is that any doesn't everybody just want to get the fuck out of there no that's the confusing thing i mean the confusing thing is really that people can tell themselves a story so there are plenty of ex <laughs> people from over the hill on the la side of the hill that have come there usually yeah. through some yeah. form of trauma yeah. or either financial emotional yeah. or other yeah. a few people decide to retire there yeah yeah it makes, the, it makes yeah. sense for some people yeah. you know for some people anyway <laughs> The, the, yeah, the difficulty is that once you get there, you have to justify being there, which is one of the curious things. You well, you, well, see what again. Well, yeah, Mind with the internet, yeah. Uh, if you got good internet, well, that let's might, get might work. <laughs> my in-laws do not have good internet. In fact, the whole uh. thing is really curious with my in-laws because they play complete luddites to the T, and then you say, then it comes up in conversation, do you want to watch a movie on TV? And I said, okay. And then they have this elaborate setup for <laughs> recording the movies, which involves a DVD writer, you know, channeling yeah. the channels and everything, so they can get, they can operate in remarkable coordinated speed. You know, <laughs> yeah, the ability got it to... Down, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Them humans are amazing yeah. with the shit they can learn. Yeah. <laughs> The main thing with my in-laws is that 
they watch Fox News to an extent yeah. where, thankfully, through the time that I'm there, and my spiritual advisor has given me this feedback, that me being there actually creates a completely different environment. Oh, I bet. Because yeah. I, my yeah, task yeah. while I'm there is to spend every waking moment with my father-in-law. Really? And Yes. And to hear... why? And why is that? Because, because that's what's expected of you or what? Well, because my father-in-law really isn't very good at interacting with women folk. Uh-huh. And he has three daughters. So, <laughs> okay. okay, so this is a big deal for him. Yes. Is that, oh, I get to spend some time talking to another man. Exactly. Oh, yes. oh well, shit. Oh, of, talk about pressure. Shit. He oh, has plenty man. of male friends, but none of them are like me. Well, they're, that's for sure. <laughs> they're all kind of hunter folk, some kind of, you know. Well, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. None of them are like you, so you can't present who you really are to him. <laughs> <laughs> On the first day, I thought to myself, what I'm going to do here is try an experiment. Because I think actually what will happen, in, my prediction is what will happen in the next four years, if it isn't already happening, is as per the 1950s, the Democrats are actually going to be more conservative and authoritarian than the Republicans. It does happen. There are these phase shifts. Okay, yeah. And I put to my in-laws that when that happens... <laughs> Are they going to switch parties? Well, uh, what is even the potential there? Because Fox News is such a curious narrative... <laughs> yeah, yeah. ...that the, the change in the party order, which appears to be happening anyway... Is going to be so difficult. I mean, this is what I always Well, it's been unstable to... for quite some yeah. time. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, the Tea Party and, and back to Ross Perot yeah. and, uh, the whole system is uh, losing its integrity. Well, you know, it's, it's not that it's, I, I would argue that it never really had integrity. Well, no, well, it did in the sense that it was simple and everybody sort of believed in it. And, and people, you know, I mean, but the whole, everything has changed since then. Yeah, it's just, it's just, there's no support for that anymore. Yeah, as we were driving, I think probably down the 101, we saw a signpost that said Martin Luther King Jr. was a Republican, paid for by Black <laughs> Republican, which, which is exactly my point. That yeah, there was it, which time... may have been true until he changed to become a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. He was a Republican, yes. but now he's a Democrat. Well, now he's dead. But well, now he's dead. Well, yeah. same thing. But, again, it goes back to the period where the Democrats were the kind of racist party of the South, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is often forgotten in the current narrative. Yeah. But yeah. they could not necessarily the racist party of the South, but they certainly move very quickly well, to the... South the... an entity onto itself yeah. there. You know, it's, it's been yeah. that for a long time. Yeah. They, they certainly tend to be the industrial military complex kind of party, although the Republicans continue to try and fight them for those honors. <laughs> but it is one of these curious things. So I tried to float, and then I realized that there's not even, like, I don't even talk about Muslims as a concept. I mean, uh, I'm, I acknowledge. You can talk about Islam. Yes. Well, I acknowledge Sunni and Shia. And through that distinction, I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu doesn't, but I think you can actually start to realize that there are strange internal fracturings yeah. within those relationships. Yeah, this is all bullshit. You know, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of them are just fucking stories. Period. End of story. You know, anyone who believes any of that shit is a brain-damaged language monkey. 
Okay, go on. <laughs> but from that assertion, I, I guess I'm always looking for a means of trying to understand things. And the ability to distinguish... That's what stories are for. Stories are ways to make sense out of experience. Just there's you just can't forget that they're just stories. Mm. They're not the way the world really is. Without question. But I mean that that's precisely what is missed by almost every, almost everybody who's a believer in any religion. Mm. No, I'm not arguing that. Yeah. That's not the point that I'm making. I'm okay. at a different level here, Heron. Okay. And let me add atheists to that list too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I guess my broader point is, when I engage in discussions with people, the language that they use indicates what aspects of kind of, I don't know, disbelief I can sow into their narrative, mm, yeah. just to jar them Yeah, it helps. The, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a, yeah. a good skill. Yeah. You, you just plant a little seed that yeah. will grow slowly, maybe. Yeah. And yes. with my in-laws, historically, yeah. I've tried to do this, and this time I just realized after the first day... <laughs> Particularly because I was sleep-deprived through the entire trip, that I just yeah. didn't have my mental faculties sufficient that I could engage. Yeah. And it was probably better that I just said yes and finally watch a couple of movies that <laughs> yeah, I've seen watch, previously. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? There you go. Yeah, and that probably worked it. just fine. One mental exercise that I gave myself, a mental challenge through this period, was to... I've been watching a series of things on Vice associated with um, the legalization of cannabis in Colorado and Washington State. Ah. And the failing... Are of they the, as interesting uh, on that subject as they are on no, uh, kind of the Middle East? Well, they're kind of lukewarm. They, I guess they motivate thinking. One of the uh, documentaries was associated with the fact that the modern cannabis industries in Washington State and Colorado have no means of bringing in new consumers. And... I assert that part of this problem is because when, as you acknowledge this... <laughs> wait a minute, wait, I'm, I'm still stuck on what you just said. Okay. They have no... What was that? They're, and who and they're claiming this is this is a problem they have as this a, is a business. Problem that they have to solve as a business. Okay, they to, can't bring in new. Well, but everybody's new. Well, I mean, it's only been legal for a couple of weeks. That's where it gets interesting here, Heron. So, so every customer is a new customer. What the let fuck put, are they talking about? Let me put to you this analysis that I find absolutely fascinating. <laughs> the cannabis that is sold in California medicinally is completely removed from the cannabis that is grown in Southeast Asia, uh, to a, to a certain extent Afghanistan, to a lesser extent Jamaica, to a greater extent Pakistan. So you're saying most of the grass comes from California? Yes. Okay. And that's actually- In, in legal, in legal farms. This is where it's interesting. So within California, if you want to purchase or grow cannabis, it is called OG Bubba Kush, Blueberry Haze. It has all these yeah. names, uh, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. are the names of the illegal yeah. strains uh, yeah, right, before they yeah. became legalized. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. I understand. Yeah, they got in all contrast. This, they, uh, rather than this is uh, number seven two five, which many people prefer to help them sleep. Exactly. <laughs> you know, well, or seven seven eight, which uh, will really get you horny. Or <laughs> you know, the nature of Cabernet Sauvignon, the nature of Champagne, the nature of Merlot. Yeah, right. Is that they but all, that's bullshit shit for grass anyway because it's different 
on every person who smokes it. That, that, that's that's a, you know them sitting around pontificating. Oh well, this will this is great for this or that. That's yeah. bullshit. They well, don't know that. I assert I assert that the cannabis that was grown indigenously within California was not the super cannabis that seems to be actively being described. And what interests me here is that the cannabis that is grown in Amsterdam and to a lesser extent the UK is able to take these strains from Thailand, Afghanistan, what have you, and what are called land races. And the idea of the land race is that this is indigenous cannabis that grows in a particular region that has been growing there for at least 100 years. Well, what I'm interested in is whether it gets me off or not. Well, my assertion to you is that if you had access to land races... I'd love to try something. Yes. Yeah, it'd be but interesting you can't to in see. California. Well, this not is legally. The, this is the thing that I find very, well, no, very curious. I, I imagine if you've got enough money and if you ask around, you can get it. Ah, uh, yes. And this is where it gets very interesting. So, the cannabis that is grown in California, particularly for consumers, is designed to be a high-flowering <laughs> yield in the shortest quantity of time, which means that it is it contains a substantial quantity of indica, which produces higher CBD to THC. But it is typically grown, and what it looks like is very different than the cannabis that grows, for example, natively in Thailand and Cambodia. Well, which, it looks beautiful compared to, I mean, at least from what I always expected uh, it to look like, all the red hairs, yes. you know, ooh. <laughs> you see, this is where it gets interesting, because part of the land race phenomenon is that people need to lose what they visually associate yeah. with... Well, no, it only counts as whether it works or not. <laughs> this is the interesting part here. So, my, you know, the Field of Chaos section that is written in the cyber hippie community, from what I've read, is based on a land race strain from either Thailand or probably more likely Laos or Cambodia. And they maintained a land race because they maintained it isolated. They didn't introduce other strains into it. And through that, they could extract a premium. But they could extract a premium because it was incredibly strong psychedelic weed. It yeah. wasn't like the skunk or the other stuff that was yeah, being sold. Yeah, yeah. The other interesting thing that I and found... That is, are you saying that this is still available? Yes. Okay, well, that's good. And the other thing that's, that's interesting, I, and and probably it's called. And what is it called? Well, the, this is where it gets interesting. It's named after the region that it's from. Uh huh. And you need to know stuff associated with the fact that it hasn't been polluted. Well, or how would one go? How would how would someone go about locating a sample of this? Well, this is where it gets very interesting because in California, from my surveying, and in Colorado and in Washington, no one is growing and selling to regular consumers through the legal means, at least, these kind of land race strikes. Right. So, so therefore, the, what's left is extra legal. Well, what's interesting is how do you get to the point where this thing becomes legal? And this seems to be a problem that Washington No, the point is, is, how do we get a hold of some? Well, like, that's exactly my point. <laughs> that what happened in Washington, what happened, sorry, in New York State is they said, we have no legal cannabis to start from. Now we have medicinal cannabis. So we can't even transport because basically the federal system owns the airspace. We can't transport any of the legal strains from California, Colorado or Washington to New York City or New York State. How do we do this? And they petitioned the federal government to try to explain to them how this would happen. Uh-huh. My perspective is that it, it will probably take groups that start to understand this 
to start to bring over these land races in very small quantities initially, and then progressively kind of propagate them and grow them in isolation, yeah. and then enter the market. But that might change it anyway. I mean, changing the climate and the soil, and this is very, who it's knows? Very interesting. Yeah. So the folks in Amsterdam have done cultured lab studies, and this is also actually done in Canada as well, to a lesser extent than in Amsterdam. And they, the folks in Amsterdam literally have small warehouses that are dedicated to the propagation and recultivation of these land races to get them at a level where... And they use them again as breeding plants. They rarely introduce them because the market is for, as you say, weed that looks like weed that you want to look at and want to smoke. Not yeah. these land races, which yeah. look bizarre, but actually have a higher quantity yeah, of Yeah, that's what counts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the, see, but all this is like legal bullshit. The mm-hmm. question is, if you got the money and the connection, I mean, it can be purchased now. I would imagine I don't, it probably. doesn't need to fucking laws or anything to change. <laughs> Somebody's selling it somewhere. Well, I'm putting it out to the Stone Ape listing audience that if you know of land races that are being sold... <laughs> or maybe you have to go there. You have to go to Thailand yeah. or someplace. Well, the thing about the land races is... And YouTube is... Oh, good. but that's a big problem then because they catch you there with drugs and you're screwed. Well, that's where it gets interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. there, funnily enough, on YouTube, and you could tell I had far too much time on my hands when I was in... Uh, uh, feeling Hesperia Victorville. You, on YouTube, there, um, is a channel called Strain Hunters, where these guys from Amsterdam go to various parts of the world and typically work. <laughs> a with... whole fucking channel. Yeah. <laughs> on guys going around the world getting stoned. No, I'm finding these land races. <laughs> There's legitimate. No, I know, but they're smoking it and try testing exactly. it, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it's actually love quite it. fascinating. Love they're 45 it. minute yeah. documentaries per location. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what's the name of those Strain kind? Hunters. Strain Hunters. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. <laughs> now, in parallel to this, there's a, there's a large kind of anti-land race discussion. But as far as I'm concerned, I think the fact that land race strains aren't being sold is because they're not commercially viable. Why, the are they because market. they're too expensive or, it takes or because they don't the look? the length of time, the yields are lower and also they don't look like the kind of, okay, you know, but, stuff but that you'd is, like. But even at a higher price point, mm-hmm. uh, the question is how well do they work? I mean, that's the issue, not... not well, certainly the folks that I knew in Australia could make a considerable amount of money above, as a premium above standard weed prices for this. Yeah, I mean, this this is almost like a different drug. That's exactly where it gets interesting. Because if it is marketed as a different drug, if it is marketed as, in these states, a legal psychedelic experience... Yeah. Equivalent to, you know, DMT or what have you. Right, yeah. Then you're actually dealing with something that's very different. And the thing that strikes me about what is sold in California is that they're going... Firstly, none of the stuff that's done in California is in any way scientific. The testing associated with THC and CBD <laughs> uh, appears to be all over the place. And yeah, the calculations yeah. make no, no sense. Nobody knows what yeah, the fuck exactly. they're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think... The, that's why I say yeah. the only way you can test it is to smoke it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, then you'll yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So, yeah, I've certainly been thinking very dynamically associated with, like, is there a market associated with this? And if there is a market associated with this, who are the... You know, a market associated with what? Land race strains. Oh, oh okay. Particularly, you know... Oh, sure. Of course niche. there is. Yeah. The issue is, can you target them and can you put it all together in a, yeah. with a formula that'll work? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, no, there's a market out there. So, but, but, but marketing it 
maybe <laughs> you know. He's, well, the, the thing if is, if only Steve Jobs was still with us. <laughs> there's an ex- there's a substantial momentum to sell all these very cush OG, you know, gangster peanut butter kind of flavors. And not really actually explore the kind of deeper, you know, regional chemistry. In fact, what's interesting with these land races is that they... Well, those names, like I say, are, are ir- irrelevant. You well, know, the, I think also think... people smoke something and they and that's what it's called and they liked it. Yeah. So they buy that again. They but go the, in and they know what to ask for. The demographic that was described in the Vice piece was associated with mothers, that would previously, you know, get together with parties and drink red wine and you have a bit of a giggle. What was the obstacle for them consuming cannabis? And they took one of these women ah, to Colorado to, yeah. you know, see ah. rooms and this kind of stuff. Because the woman, I think she lived in Washington State, so she was <laughs> accessible, but they took her to Colorado because it's more cultivated. So they want to actually do marketing to yes. get people to quit drinking and start smoking. Yes. That's not probably not, you could probably just do that on health reasons. Well, <laughs> you the know? barrier for entry is associated with the way... But they're not allowing that, right? There's no, you can't advertise, I, I thought. I thought that was part of the deal. I'm not again. This is where it gets very curious. The statistics that are interesting, however, is that the people that were historically heavy cannabis consumers, even when it was illegal, moved into medicinal cannabis very quickly, and then moved when it was legal, moved into legal cannabis. However, it hasn't actually grown. Like it hasn't become something which is more socially acceptable, has brought in more people. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. Well, that's, no, that's what the, the, the teenagers yeah. that live in the house in front of me both go to the local dispensary to get their grass. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing so. is that it, it, without an understanding of this kind of international history of cannabis, yeah. which the whole kind of 420 culture goes completely in the face of an international history, which actually, I mean, the reason that the folks in my part of the world grew this particular strain from Southeast Asia was because of the Vietnam War. You know, they wouldn't have naturally gone to Southeast Asia. What happened was that some GIs brought back a particular strain, put it in this part of the world, and they kind of cultivated in that part of the world. So, yeah, it's interesting that the current... And I found this because I, I guess I subscribe to now two, you know, one in Colorado, one in Sacramento, kind of stoner YouTube folk. They never talk about any of this kind of stuff. Mm. They're basically consumers. They're just passive consumers, <laughs> you know. Here's the OG Bubba Kush, you know, here's the what yeah. have you. They're not interested in talking really? about, you know, they're not spiritual kind well, of philosophical yeah, so, so why are you listening to them? Uh, well, you've learned your lesson. I you don't YouTube need to listen to them, to them. And When they talk about politics, I hit the unsubscribe button very quickly. I mean, yeah. I realize that actually mm. what potentially you and what I associate with a kind of broader kind of cognitive dissonance that I'd like to see, although truth be told, majority, listen, it's 1%. Yeah. You know, we're talking yeah. about between, between exactly. 1 and 5%. Exactly. Let's just get, get over it, Don. <laughs> it's a bitch, but there you go. <laughs> That's the job. That's the field of endeavor that lies in front of us. Yes. Is to change those statistics. Yes. Another thing that entered my cognitive space while I was away was associated, and this is, this has been slowly entering prior to actually going to Victorville, but the rape laws in California have changed. The what laws? The rape. Okay. 
It sounded strangely like ripe. Yes, uh, when I time. say, look. It sounded like an Aussie. Yeah, you know, when ripe. I say, what is it? Porn star versus porn store. And I can never get the difference between P-O-R-N and P-A-W-N. Anyway, moving Pawn on. Porn. Porn, no? yes. Ah, interesting. Porn. That's that's pretty much the same in your... Yes. Pawn porn and... store, porn star, porn store. Ah, okay. Porn. okay. Anyway. Okay, yeah. Well, so, yeah. so you guys are... Unfortunately, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't think we actually use the term porn, aside from in chess, we don't have porn chops in Australia. We have porn ah, chops in Australia, but we don't have porn chops in Australia. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, then that would help. So the, the word porn, well, how about the word porn? It's pornography then. It's pornography. Pornography, yes, exactly. Oh, interesting. Well, that's all part of part of what's so interesting about the English language. Is yes. My whole phonetic writing system would see so you've just eliminated one of the symbols I need, made Very it good. simpler. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> in parallel to the laws changing in California, I also, I think through um, Joe Rogan's podcast, heard a Southern Californian academic talk about the university rape laws or whatever, the, the mandated by the Obama administration fact that universities now deal with rape allegations initially. In fact, they almost seem to circumvent the legal uh, dealing with rape, which I find very concerning. Interesting. Anyway. So the, the, they have their own system at the university. Well, because I guess university rape cases were sufficiently frequent, rather than putting them out in the criminal justice system, they also... Well, they still belong in the criminal justice system. I would system. say, I would, uh, yes, that would be my view as well. I mean, uh, obviously the school needs to look at what's going on. The and- funny thing is that when the schools take it on, it's usually only relating to expulsion. And the claim... Yeah, that's... Bo- <laughs> the claim through this is... Um, that the effect of expulsion from a university is equivalent to jail time, I guess. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, in whose universe? Well, is in that the universities in the Obama administration's universe, apparently. <laughs> this is a topic which I think is so uh, both socially and also like gender-defined charge that I'm debating raising it with my in my initial conversation with Liz Swan. Because certainly I find the whole nature of these things very curious. I'm, I think yes means yes seems kind of rational, aside from the fact that after a certain length of time, to have kind of signed sexual contracts seem rather curious. I mean, I think it's a very... It's <laughs> yeah, a very, you gotta fill, just fill out a form. You know, make it simple. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just keep it in your wallet yeah. right next to your rubber, yeah. you know, uh, a consent form. Or even better, take a leaf out of the celebrity's <laughs> book and just videotape everything. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, no, but see, that could be misinterpreted. A form, you really need a form. Well, Along with the videotape, yes. maybe, yeah. But the form is essential. Yeah. Through this as well, there is a YouTube fellow who I had, had not in any way come across any of my YouTubing radar called Sam Pepper. And Sam Pepper is a character who was on a reality TV show in the UK and was able to utilize the fact that he'd appeared for, you know, three episodes on this reality TV show to start a YouTube channel. He already had a YouTube channel, but he got more subscribers through this. And most of his subscribers are young girls. And his whole, well, the channel, I've not watched the channel aside from isolated clips that have been presented to me through the media, but these relate to him 
um, trying to kiss women, uh, pinching women's butts, this kind of stuff. Uh, which to me, the whole thing is totally surreal because it's kind of embarrassing to watch, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's who, yeah, just imagine camera. who the hell is watching this stuff. The thing you know? about yeah. him as well is that he's kind of awkward, he's got a strange haircut, he's tall and dangly, he's not in any way a kind of heartthrob of YouTube, but he has a substantial following with young girls. Yeah. In the past, but, yeah. in the past three weeks, L- largely through the work of a YouTube activist called Lacey Green. We can return to Lacey Green a little bit later. There's been a kind of outing of these women, many of whom were, you know, 14, 15 at the time and are now in their early 20s, who say... Oh, so this guy's been around for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, he was on he was on the reality TV show in the UK, I think, in 2009. So he's had... Okay, so it's been going since then. Yeah, he's yeah, had okay. like six-odd years' worth okay. of time to build this thing he has roughly two million subscribers allegedly wow. anyway so through talking with my spiritual advisor and, can he, he, and he makes a living yes, at that I'm a, sure. a very good living apparently really yeah okay which is very curious with two million subscribers yes and he gets his uh, money from ad revenues from, from the ad ads revenue, and yeah. he belongs to one of He's these selling YouTube his own shit communities, too. which is selling his shit, going and talking at conferences, okay, doing a right, wide variety yeah. of things. Oh, so he's made a whole lifestyle out of this. Yeah, shit. just what I want to do with Gendo. Exactly. He right. moved to he moved to London. He moved from London to um, L.A. with this thing sometime. Oh, I'll and go he, talk to him. Maybe he can help me do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> So what came out through the week was a series of media stories about how he'd formerly had charges against him, how women were coming forward, all this kind of stuff. And in parallel to this, there were a series of women both in the US and the UK that recorded both anonymous and front camera descriptions of their interactions with this fellow, starting off when he was in the UK, where he would just basically constantly harass 15-year-old girls to show him their breasts, to trying to get to meet them in public and, you know, touching yeah. them under their clothes, yeah, yeah. to, you know, now... Yeah, yeah every, what every teenager wants to do. Yeah, well, except with this 24-year-old kind of dangly dude. It's funny, actually, yeah. because this whole notion of consent and sexual Sexuality is very tightly wound up in this thing. Oh, the whole thing is just totally insane. Yeah. Sex is just crazy yeah. in society. So through this, there's been a kind of dominant narrative in the media associated with how this guy has been formally charged and what have you. But every of the, every one of these YouTube videos that comes through, except maybe one of them, has not actually resulted in anyone going to the police. So what you have now is this kind of vast sway of women who say, I feel safer coming on YouTube and talking about the way this guy sexually harassed or, you know, downright raped me versus actually going to the police. And the thing that strikes me through this, and I'm going to talk a little bit more hopefully with uh, Liz Swan about this, is what is the narrative with modern day feminism associated with allowing a cycle of abuse through distrusting law enforcement. Yeah. Well, that may not be just a feminism issue. It's not. That, no, no, it's not. I mean, yeah. it has nothing to do with that. This, the issue is 
you know, how, why is it that so many people don't go to the police, don't trust the police? And the thing is that this fellow has been... And now, because a number of news sources stupidly made the assertion that the police had contacted him about this case, which in fact turns out not to be the case, although allegedly there is a new case that has been brought forward. The case that was originally... Well, somebody has to bring it... Somebody has to start it. Well, someone did start it in July, but they withdrew so quickly that the police... Well, then there's nothing... What can can they do? Yeah, exactly. Somebody has to step forward and say, hey, this guy committed a crime. I accuse him of committing a criminal act. Yeah. Through this, the culture of... And you saw nobody has done that. Well, apparently one person has done it within the past week, although no one has contacted Sam Pepper. I mean, he's not been contacted by LAPD or any other jurisdiction by what his... See, I don't want to have that happen with Gendo. Yes. (laughs) That doesn't sound good at all. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, basically it is... I mean, look, I think this guy is a vile individual from just the short amount of time I've spent looking at his stuff, and it really... (laughs) There's a there's a broader question, which is how do these assholes get to be famous in this context? I mean, what's the whole brain damaged language monkeys answers these kinds of questions almost all the time. The purpose the purpose of the advanced gendo passing monk Ah. is to actually either exist in the future, as you have chosen to do, or (laughs) as I have chosen, I am the one drinking here, pal. Yeah, I seem to be the one sweating here, (laughs) as you have chosen to do. Or work out ways of converting the... Yeah, anytime you can plant a seed, anything you can do, anything to disrupt what's going on is a good thing to do. I agree completely, yeah. But I just don't expect much from that. I uh, I think the real hope for the future is the next couple generations of children to bring them up properly rather than trying to correct the brain damage that was done to the adults which can be done in some cases and you never know who i mean anybody can wake up at any moment you know i mean yeah so you don't know but i mean just statistically my sense is that's that's a that ain't the way to do it (laughs) Yeah, it it does strike me, and maybe I'm just completely percentage-wise factually wrong, that we appear to be stepping backwards associated with this particular area. That particular area being what? Rape. The the fear of interacting with the police, which has always been there. No, but that's, so you could interpret that as a good thing, that people have less and less faith in the established systems. Mm -hmm. That could be good. So the solution is to make YouTube... yeah. Anonymous confessions associated. No, with I don't know about, no, I, I don't know what the answer is or what it's supposed to do. I'm just saying that the fact that people don't trust the, the fundamentals of the, of the system, I mean, that's bad for the old system. That may be good for the butterfly, not good for the caterpillar, but maybe just what's called for. Yeah. They're going to be looking around for something else to put their faith in. One would hope so. God, I hope so. Yes. <laughs> You know, Tom, I really do enjoy our time talking together every week. I missed it last week. Well, I'm sorry to hear it, Aaron. We were, um, yeah, we were in Solvang at the time. Oh, I understand. I'm just, just uh, as I was I, there, I I'm just recalling that I, I actually enjoy. It's good to have a conversation with somebody who can keep up their end of it. Well, it made me think that if we were ever to meet, 
I would need to be in a state that I wasn't in when I was in your part of the world. And it made me actually reflect quite heavily yeah. uh-huh. what would be the circumstances where yeah. I would have the Under argument. what circumstances yeah. would it be really good for us to sit in the same room together? Yes. Yeah. And I can't, Im- I mean, I can imagine that, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, if, if, uh, if we both end, I mean, yeah, if we both ended up in the same place just because that's where we ended up, that would make it real easy. Mm. <laughs> you know, here we are. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, as as it was with this trip, there just wasn't a circumstance that I think would have afforded that. In yeah, a I agree. Yeah, it would have been some stereotypical thing, you know, uh, you know what people do when they're supposed to meet. Yeah, I I, I basically dread meeting people in person, mm. just because of, it, basically because of their expectations. Mm. You know, is they think it's. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they think, but I mean, I just, I just don't like that. It's fun meeting people I've never met before. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yes. I, I don't think, and I mean, this goes out to the broader listener base that live in your part of the world as well. I don't think I would have been as coherent or as linguistic. I would have chosen. Well, you were to, in a different mode. Way. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were doing something else. This wasn't what you were here for. Yeah. Yes. I would have liked to have gotten more sleep. I would have liked to have been in a better state mode, but unfortunately, it's just the way that things presented themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We have a wide variety of listener-related questions here. Oh, really? I'm going to start oh, with... good. I'm going to Thank start you. with... We need Yeah, question. good. Thank you, guys. Uh, he, he writes, this is, a pretty, uh, this is pretty wide open, but here it is. Do either of you have a best practices when it comes to getting work done? I mean both employment-based work and also personal projects or self-employment work, including hobbies. Any uh, kind of making or creating that has structure. Wow, God. <laughs> Should I, mean, I start I, or do you want to yeah, go? Yeah, no, you can go ahead. I've got a lot of questions. Okay. <laughs> i got way more questions than I have answers on this subject. So through my professional work, software engineering is very, very structured by nature. And I have uh, what would historically be called a bug tracker, which we call at Netflix an issue tracker, which presents to me every day a series of issues either that have been filed against me or that I have filed against myself. And I also file issues against other people. And that creates a formalized structure where I do my work. Now, obviously, I have things that I... Wait a minute. I'm, I'm hung up on the mm-hmm. word against. Is mm-hmm. that, an, is that an, a necessary word for this situation? It's the word that's used within the culture. Um, File to you, I guess. I mean... Well, I don't know. I mean, against is certainly an aggressive term, and I'm trying to think you're filing issues... Well, against somebody, and I'm trying to think. Okay, file issues for someone. Let's or or of someone or well, about someone. Anyway, or, this is the terminology that's used. I think there's a lot of strange, almost passive aggressive language that is embodied in yeah, Monday software engineering. Yeah, yeah but that's it. A doesn't actually one. embody any meaningful anger in these circumstances. Okay, all right. So two would work just as anyway. Well. Moving from the exact language that I use to describe the process, it is um, a piece of software. We use Jira. There are a wide variety of packages. Um, Apple uses a package called Radar that Apple developed themselves. Jira was developed by an Australian firm. There are half a dozen other packages used extensively. I worked for a company that used Lotus Notes a long time ago. 
But it's just a means of, you could typically, I mean, you could use a wiki, maybe even, but it's just a way of formalizing stuff that you need to do. Yeah. And then you follow that process and you develop software from that. Mm-hmm. Historical traditional bugs go into that process as well, but new features can also be embodied in the process. And from that, you create software and new ideas and all this kind of stuff. So this is a sort of framework out of which other stuff can emerge. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, GitHub is what I use currently. I've historically used SourceForge for Noble Ape has a way of doing this as well. This is sometimes useful. I'm in no way as formal with Noble Ape as I am with my professional life. And because typically Noble Ape is just me now working on it, a lot of that formality is artificial. When Bob Mottram and half a dozen other folk worked on Noble Ape, uh, we did use periodically the GitHub... Yeah, you need something. Yeah. yeah. But if you got regular contributors, then yeah, yeah you've got to get it organized. Most of the time now, if I find an issue, I'll try to fix it or I'll make a mental note that it needs to be fixed in the near future. Yeah. And yeah. I work through these things in blocks. The way I construct, so for example, Model Rail Radio is a good example of this. This is a substantial amount of work from end to end, both through the recording, but also the kind of post-production process. I typically divide that into four or more sections. In fact, what I do with Stone Ape is Heron goes for a wine break, typically every 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> and that is a section where I can work on a section in a finite amount of time. Ah, yeah, okay, I yeah, give this section. And the, yeah, right, yeah. And all yeah. this is associated with allocated time with the view that in my evenings, I will typically have hour allocated parcels, maybe 45 minute allocated parcels that I can do these things in, plus circumstances where I'm just exhausted and don't want to do it and I don't do it through those things. I'm very mindful. When do you watch television, Tom? I, well, when I'm at my in-laws. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, good. I knew you had to get it in there somewhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. The thing that strikes me through this is I am probably considerably more regimented than almost anyone I deal with, particularly. I wouldn't call it regimented. Well, you know, I mean, it is one thing to have a structure imposed upon you yeah. by somebody else. It's another thing to create a structure in which you can get stuff done. Before I met my spiritual advisor, it was always a curiosity when I dated people. My, when I met my spiritual advisor, I realized that she had hobbies. And she had hobbies that she were... She had very, her own life. <laughs> and she yeah. had things that she did that were very similar, although I do take it to an extreme, and she does complain periodically yeah. associated with the way that I put these things together. However... Yeah, you're, you're a brain-damaged language yeah. monkey. Just tell her it's not your fault. Or, you know, go down and spend yeah. a week with her parents in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, well... Or, Go to Disneyland for breakfast. Or just refuse to have anything to do with them. Just let them think you're an asshole and just stay home. Well. (laughs) Let her go. Yeah, but, you know, you want to (laughs) score points here, and as opposed to just maintain a state. Well, sometimes you don't give a shit about points anymore. Anyway. (laughs) Moving on from (laughs) So I think I've basically answered kind of... And the other thing that I need to point out is that I'm very mindful of when projects start to tail off. So I invest this effort into Stone Ape Model Rail Radio because I know that there's a... This, it's something that nurtures me. But for example, the biota recordings, which nurtured me up until a point and then for a while, everyone yeah. else yeah. kind of wandered off and did their own thing, mm-hmm. um, didn't nurture me and I stopped that. And right. through yeah. the field of chaos writing, I got to a point where it was on Amazon working through the comic. I realized it was taking more than it was giving and I stopped that. So I have within this, and obviously I don't have, I don't really have a chance to do this. You know, wait, I got to stop for a second. Mm-hmm. This whole idea about taking more than it's giving, I'm not sure that's even relevant. 
because it, it seems that there's stuff I've been involved in for years that is, I'm still giving it to, you know, that I'm not getting anything from it. But, but that's, that's but that's okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's a personal choice. That's what's important is mm. why you're doing it in the first place. Mm. So it's not just about whether it's taking more than it's giving. Uh, the question is whether it's worth it that it's taking more than it's giving. Well, that's ultimately a personal choice. Yes, right? that's well, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. Yes, ultimately, that's a choice. It's not some objective thing about oh, well, it's taking too much. No, no, it, it, it's you make a decision about how to spend your time. Historically, and this has happened one, I think, one time. When I lost my job because the company I was working for closed, I stopped podcasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I've had more time because I've been unemployed, like when I first came here, well, when I came <laughs> back here from the UK, yeah. Yeah. I invested a lot more time into Noble Ape. And there's a flexibility yeah. within this that says, you know, given the time or it really, I don't like using the term headspace, but it really describes in a kind of fine. Well, it does. Way. Yeah. Headspace time, actually. Exactly. Yeah. That you need to be in the right mindset before you even start tackling these things. I also don't think, and I've tried, but I don't think there's any productive way to teach people this thing. It is something that's almost implicit. You can kind they of teach They have to have the desire. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, you either want to use your life in some sort of productive way, mm -hmm. or you want to see what's on TV tonight. So when I started Model Rail Radio, and this goes back to Connor's question i would what the hell was his question um do either of you have the best practices when oh, it comes okay, to getting yeah. work done yeah, yeah. i proposed together with a fellow called matt goodman that we talk to the model rail radio folk about these software engineering practices particularly a concept called sprints where you divide work up and you divide it down into actually doable tasks and you can basically get through to an almost impossible point by just breaking the work up, or like a conceptually impossible point initially. And you just divide work up, and then you get to a place th through a set time frame and can work it down into its individual kind of corpusable components. And we talked about that associated with building a small shelf layout, a small model train setup. Um, within these software engineering parameters. Now, about 10% of the listening audience really got into that. About 80% put up with it and 10% were kind of vehemently opposed and wrote a series of negative reviews about this whole concept. So I'm going back to Connor's point. I think it's very personal and it's something where people will find their own way of doing these things. And really, I'd be looking for Connor's feedback here associated with ideas. Yeah. I mean, Connor within his field is relatively successful in what he does. Uh, and I think he probably has his own practices, which maybe he could share on the yeah, Facebook group or start a conversation in this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, where I'm getting to now is that I'm beginning to see that, that I'm, at least for, in my case, I'm really not in control of it anymore. Mm. That, uh, it sort of depends on, on me getting some ideas and I can't seem to, uh, change how quickly they come or how often they come. They come when they come. Mm -hmm. And I sort of have to do my best to just sort of keep on keeping on. Mm -hmm. And um, now work, that's a whole different thing. It's easy at work because, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, there's no plan there. I know exactly how to do my job. I know how to do it better than anybody. And I do it. End of story. So that's not much of an issue. If there are problems, we deal with them and, and uh and put out a paper or not although we always have and um but it for what i'm trying to do as an agent of evolution 
as a person who's trying to participate in the emergence of a new planet, um, I'm sort of getting that I'm just sort of an embedded system, and, and, and I maybe maybe I can't push it. Maybe I can only just sort of ride the wave and, and try to pick a <laughs> you know something and hope for some new ideas. What, what I'm seeing now, especially for myself, is is I realize I've already got all the parts of the machine. I've already got all the all the data. The question is, how do you put it together into a coherent story that works? Mm. And, and that can be done any number of ways. And I simply haven't found a way that I'm comfortable with yet. And when I do, I'm thinking shit is going to pour out of me. I may do a couple of books in a year. I mean, I've, like I say, I've got all the data. I've got all everything I need. All the particulars are there. What I don't have is the overall framework for it that that works for me. Do you think it's your responsibility to do that, though? Well, no. I mean, I, I don't have really have anything better to do, though. So why yeah. not? <laughs> no, in, in some sense, like I say I, I sense. I mean, I've done my. If if you if you're a believer in Rupert Sheldrake, then I've already done my job. Hmm. You know, I mean, I've I've come to the conclusions I've come to. I've done the the studies I've done. I've learned what I've learned. I've made the assumptions and stories that I've made. And, um, there you go. But I, I feel, I don't know, like I could do more. Mm. Like actually, like I said, I mean, well, it sounds so grandiose. It's embarrassing to even talk about it. But I mean, really to be a significant participant in transforming the planet. Shit. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things we did in LA was walk around the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. The Hollywood Forever Cemetery? cemetery. Yes. It's, I, um, basically it's the resting place of a number of, I don't know, B grade, silver screen <laughs> era actors. Yeah, actors and, yeah, okay. Um, Lana Clarkson is there. We didn't see Lana Clarkson's grave. Um, George Harrison, I thought we'd see, but unfortunately, George Harrison, the Beatle. Yes, unfortunately, he was just uh, he was just burnt up there, so his ashes could be put in the Ganges. So he wasn't there. What it was was just a bunch of old Jews in the section that we walked through, <laughs> like more Jews than you could ever possibly imagine, <laughs> surrounded by these people. A bunch of old Jews. Yes, a bunch of dead old Jews. Exactly. Yeah. I felt well, that is piece. about as old as you can get. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of kind of embarrassing because what do you call a bunch of dead old Jews? Well, one word came to mind, and then I thought that really isn't an appropriate description. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was in that word was it begins with H and ends with T. Anyway, moving on from that. Well, that doesn't help at all. So this is something peculiar to your mind because if that calls up anything for you. It's because you already know the answer. <laughs> Think through history, particularly around the 1940s, associated with what a group of dead Jews may be referred to. Anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Moving on. All right. Andy. That's a lot of letters between them, though. I was thinking, I was thinking like heat. No. <laughs> or something. Anyway. <laughs> A man who I will refer to because he has appeared extensively on model rail radios, Andy <laughs> the Arborist Dixon, a nickname that I've only, which I realized in kind of post-production I should have given to him, who is an amazing, this man took a small, relatively small room and packed it with more wood 
than you could ever <laughs> possibly imagine. In fact, I need to share some of his photos uh, onto the yeah, Stone please, Age Facebook yes, group. Yeah, please, yes, you do. This man has created a universe that only six foot seven men can enter into. He's, I don't think he's six foot seven, but he created, I think it's three separate levels, which isn't that many in the model rail community. Each with, uh, I think each represents a completely different region <laughs> of the world. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. It has a little entry window at the door with a little uh, one of those bells that you press to get uh, attention. Uh, as people can kind of, as his wife and I guess his wife's friends and his son can look into this world that he has created. And he's actually a very interesting character. He used to be a, a 1980s hair metal musician, I think. The kind of a good kind of precursor to grunge rock, which was considerably heavier and nastier, but very much part of the UK community. And Andy posts to the Stone Out Facebook group more examples. Anyway, he asks, in the tradition, in the tradition, in the transition to the butterfly, do you think it is possible to keep the internet intact as we see it today? Or will its reach and influence have to metamorphize as well? Notwithstanding power supply companies and mm. computer supplies. Yeah. Well, I imagine uh, we're just in the beginning of this, so I, I really can't even imagine hmm. what what it's going to become. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, most things have already outstripped my imagination a million fold. Hmm. When I quit electronic music, it was because the limit. I couldn't see getting beyond the limitations of the ARP twenty six hundred. And I had ideas of what I, what would be possible, you know, and, and within five years, there was equipment that was so far beyond what I had even hoped for in my wildest imagination. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, the internet exists as protocols, and it exists as protocols, I mean, obviously there's a hell of a lot of hardware there as well, but I mean, in pure theoretical terms, the internet is protocols, and these protocols are completely independent of the existing infrastructure. The content, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, my view is that as the protocols continue and improve and potentially, you know, these kind of discussions, particularly associated with security, become more and more interesting. I think the internet will continue to survive. It will probably be nothing like, in terms of the underlying protocols and structure, what we have currently, it may, it may be considerably faster, it may be considerably more peer-to-peer, -peer, um, which would make it considerably more resilient, although it's pretty resilient as it is currently. Shit, if it disappears, uh, we're, it's over. I can't imagine a world without it. Mm. I mean, if, if, if it goes down, we're out of business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, it's the brain. It, it's like, that would be like Earth having a stroke. Mm -hmm. the, the internet cannot go down. That, that is fundamental to our future, I think. So you've, uh, you've answered Andy's question. Perfect. Moving on. Bob Mottram asks. This Thank you for the question. That was a great question. Yes. Thumbs up to Andy. Bob Mottram notes. Group selection in nature and possibly in noble ape. Discuss. He presented an article, I'm not sure whether you read the article, Heron, associated with uh, group selection and spiders. Um, apparently I didn't. The thing that struck me, I read the article. The thing that struck me is it was one of these curious articles, which I read periodically about academic biology, that made me question whether the problems that the biologists were calling problems were actual problems. Yeah. And I think it was one of these strange examples where anyone who has any understanding of kind of what I would call simulation science, particularly with regards to complexity and complex interactions, would just look at that and think, what is the academically challenging point here? 
Well, the academically challenging point is that they have to take this and explain it with neo-Darwinism. Like, there are no other rules but this small group of rules that we've already agreed upon explain this phenomena. And I think it struck me, and this is the notion, let me see if I can describe what group selection here means. This is the notion that the group makes choices about who, what qualities they let into the kind of breeding pool and what qualities they kind of breed for. Obviously not explicitly, but through kind of general group interaction, which is extremely challenging to describe. I don't even understand what that means. Okay. So you have a community of creatures and there are at least two or three separate roles that the community is built up from. So you may... Okay, like men and women. That would be like an obvious one. Well, um, farmers, cooks... Uh, so okay, well, yeah, you can divide them. Yeah, there's as many which, as you're creative enough to come yeah, up. Which, with. which yeah. exist in ants and spiders and bees and where there are a variety of roles that require. Are there any communal specific... spiders? I've never. Yes, heard of. yes. Well, really, I didn't know. Go that. back and yeah. read the article, Aaron. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I. All right, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, there really spiders communal weave... spiders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Spiders are fascinating. The more time you spend with spiders, the more you begin to question neo-Darwinism, particularly when you realize that spiders frequently attack and eat birds. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the nature of spiders, because when you talk to a group... Spiders of- are scary shit, man. Somebody scared me when I was a kid with spiders, and I've just, I just freak out <laughs> with spiders. I hate, I fucking hate them. They scare the shit out of me. You, you begin to appreciate that every concept we have associated with intelligence (laughs) does not exist in spiders, but are embodied by spiders. They are, when you talk to evolutionary biologists, spiders are a really interesting topic of discussion. And yeah. I actually have two, if, if you want to go back and listen to two bio recording systems to the listenership, obviously, not to you, Aaron. <laughs> uh, the spider and the bazaar and, um, spiders say no to drugs. <laughs> are the two podcasts that I recorded with, um, a, a few people. But the interesting thing is the spider drug studies, because that indicates that spiders have a spatial concept, which is almost an extension of what traditionally would be called the mind. And the spiders can actually embody things which we would traditionally internalize and describe within the mind in their web building. Almost like their web building is kind of a broader extension of... Um, this is what what I call basically the navigator. Yes, which is what the language machine came out of. Yeah, is and every animal must have an ability to navigate its environment. Yeah, yeah. But returning to Bob's discussion point, the thing that struck me through that article is just how divergent my own experiments and ideas have transitioned from what is traditional academic biology. There are a group of academic biologists that I can interact with, and these are actually the ones who are, are very applied. They're dealing with, um, you know, looking at phenomena in insects in a relatively abstract sense. But also they have such a broad breadth of knowledge that is outside the traditional... Um, you know, neo-Darwinist perspective. And this is what interests me about Sheldrake, 
is that you don't have to take everything that Sheldrake says as being the definitive truth. In fact, that's a... Well, no, you shouldn't take anything he says. It's just another fucking story. Exactly. But it's a good one for some things. The ability for Sheldrake to raise strong counterexamples and also to give a sense of the exploration that still needs to be done. There is so much work that needs to be done in biology. In fact, it was one of the reasons that I started Nobelate was I saw the biological sciences and the social sciences really lacking the same kind uh, of structure. Yeah, yeah, we're not... See, that's part of, I think, the, the change that's coming in science is that we've... The way we've divided up sciences was an okay first approximation, but actually they go together in very different ways. But there is an existing group of scientists that fight for the existing structure. Oh, of course, that's the way it always is, but yeah. that's okay. That's the conservative side, and that's appropriate. But uh, what eventually happens is they die. Yeah. And there's a new generation who goes, yeah, duh. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. That's, I mean, it took, how long did it take? Relati- Relativity still hasn't made it to the masses. Well... It is an interesting problem because the whole nature of making it to the masses is very curious. I would argue well, that relativity neo- changes everything. Neo-Darwinist philosophy making it to the masses has basically worked against the biological sciences for at least the past thirty years. Well, like I say, the whole the whole system is fucked up. I'm yeah. Sh- uh, yeah. It's hard to pick one part of it and try to deal with it. You know, <laughs> it's just the entire spectrum of communication is fucked up yeah that that's for the uh the advanced it's called fucked up yeah. <laughs> those advanced gendo monks that choose to do that yeah, the technical term is he's fucked up yeah yes. but there will still be a group of advanced gendo monks that will choose to get into that so yes <laughs> yeah. so ends the structure that has been presented to me associated with the listeners of the question. I really like these three questions. I thought, um. I did too. I enjoyed yeah, all I thought of this. this the standard fun. has been set there, folks. So people, please do contribute listener submitted questions. They all exist in roughly a paragraph. They all exist in two to three sentences. They all make the point concise. Uh, yeah, but we'll take any goddamn thing we can get. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, if it's too fucking long for Tom, he can send it to me. I'll look at it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, Tom, in the future, if it's too many paragraphs, send it to me. Well, I will deal on, with it's it. It's all on normally a Facebook group that we both read and look well, at. Well, but I don't read it. <laughs> so, I mean, I do once in a while. I guess I should probably go by there more often, but yeah. But I'm just not in the habit of doing that yet. How can we retrain me to be in the habit of doing that? Well, I've, I found it actually really enlightening that you like a lot of the Vice stuff that I post. And then oh, I love it. It's just so refreshing to see some actual guy just sort of there. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven <know>. forbid. Heaven <laughs> you know. forbid. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I find that stuff just amazing. I love it. Keep it coming. Yeah. Through- I can't. You know what makes me wonder, though, is why the fuck? I mean, I wouldn't go there and do that shit. I'm too fucking chicken. Why the hell would anybody, I mean, of all the things you could choose to do in the world, to do what that guy did in that uh, Ghosts of uh, Aleppo thing? Yeah. 
um, why the fuck would he be there when he could be, you know, surfing on the beach with his girlfriend? Well, what's interesting is that you appreciate, and this is to a certain extent through the coverage of the Ukraine as well, yeah. the journalists who are there really feel more than it's just a job. That what they are doing is actually presenting a worldview which is incredibly important to them. God, I hope so. It doesn't yeah. necessarily agree or tick all of their boxes. It produces a counter-narrative, which is enough for folks such as yourself and myself and hopefully a number of the other Stone Ape listeners to seek out this information yeah. well, as a contrast yeah. to everything else that we are told. He, he seems to be more or less just saying, here's what these people are doing and here's what's going on. He's It's hard to pin him down into some position, you know, well, which is wonderful. You, you know? may not have watched the videos, but I would like to see more videos inside the Islamic State. What we saw with regards to uh, the group that he filmed, uh, they were called something else, the Islamic, I can't remember, the Islamic Resistance or something like that, is um, a kind of Sharia law light. The stuff that they've done within the Islamic State is a more, well, it's a different kind of Sharia law. It basically involves a morality policing, which actually exists in even countries like Malaysia. Sure, yeah. The yeah, other thing that well, you, in America, what do you mean? Well, yes, okay, in a different <laughs> way. The thing that struck me about the Ghosts of Aleppo was how frequently they said Allah Akbar, a wide variety of things, just through talking to people. Yeah, yeah. You know, the nature yeah, of the language yeah. is not understood in this country. Although so. people here say, oh my God. Yes, but no one ever thinks <laughs> you know, about that. Mean, they don't think about that. Yeah, they no, don't, people they don't say, oh my God, the yeah. way people yeah. say Allahu Akbar. Yeah. And what's even more curious is that the whole analysis associated with these loaded language terms, <laughs> Islamist, jihadist, uh, fundamentalist, these things which mean it's okay to kill this group of people, irrespective, don't even talk to them, just kill them. Yeah, it's something which is very, very curious to me. <laughs> very, very curious indeed. Yes, it's time we put that shit behind us. Well, at least acknowledge to people how ridiculous it is. Well, I think that's the struggle we're in. That's about raising a generation of people who see how absolutely insane... Oh, the, the world has become yeah. and what their parents and, and, and ancestors have created. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't see any others until enough people are able to, to view it from that perspective. I don't see how there's, I don't, there is no hope. It's just going to, whatever it is, it's not going to be any, it's not going to be more fun than it is now. <laughs> I've oftentimes thought about how and you've you've described this, but it's specifically associated with your work. I like to bring it out to a, a far broader yeah. set. This notion that can a sentence disassemble a language machine? Can wait a minute, sentence wait a minute. Say, say that. Oh, I, a yeah, sentence yeah, right. disassemble yeah. a language machine? Yeah. This notion that can an idea put into yeah. words yeah. Be, be good enough? Isn't that awesome? Yes. If that's possible, yes. <laughs> and I think the the right aphorism yes. could change the course of history. I, I flip from being very much in that utopian camp to being very against it, and it's to do with the amount of time that I spend yeah. with folks like my in-laws. <laughs> because you can be ground yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, being in the one to five percent is, uh, is difficult. Mm. There's very little support for it in the world right now. 
Yes. And, uh, you know, and yeah, I'm, I'm really amazed actually at myself sometimes when I look at what I've gone through. Uh, you know, but I've always sort of seen it as an, just basically my inadequacy to deal with the so-called real world. Mm. But now I still see it more as a choice just not to play that game. But, but I didn't really feel that was what I was doing. I it was, uh, it was really, it wasn't always easy. I'm, I'm like I say, I'm, I'm sort of amazed that I've survived this long mm. and that things are actually as good as they are right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was strange transitioning into Garden Grove. I'm thinking, well, to myself, there is no transition into Garden Grove. There is. Really? Oh, there's a sign. No, no, no. The, the architecture, the whole thing. Look, in LA oh, proper, bullshit. in LA pl- proper, there are no turn signals. In Garden Grove, for most of the streets, there are turn signals. Oh, for left, yeah, for left turns, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's. Okay. And the architecture is oh, completely really? different. Just in, not in Buena Park? I think I think that's uh, common in many many cities. I don't it think it's transitions. Just Grove. It transitions, and the architecture I, transitions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Really. Yeah. Okay. Well, as an outsider, you may be more susceptible to this than I am. Yes. I, and again, I only drive now my sort of standard routes. I don't really. I don't drive around to explore. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I found strip clubs where you never knew strip clubs existed. I, so. Yeah. Do you remember what street they were? <laughs> I'll find them for you later. <laughs> Interestingly enough, an article came out uh, today about Google being sued by a a group of celebrities associated with the pictures (laughs) being released. It's now Google's fault. They've realized that they can't actually attack (laughs) Apple. It's interesting because a number of the media reports said, do you remember when the celebrities lost their photos because of the iCloud security thing? They were still telling the old story. They weren't acknowledging, oh, we're wrong here. Well, that just shows you, again, it's just that... There, there's a, there are a group of people out there who just love to hate Apple. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, they they love that shit, you know? They're called tech Well, not all of them. Some of them like Apple. Yeah. You know, some of them don't like Apple. Some of them try to be fair, but they're yes. trying to be fair even is probably against Apple. <laughs> but there were a number of contradictions. I mean, this is another reason that I'm looking forward to talking with Liz Bond. There are a number of contradictions associated with this whole notion that women who have predominantly sold themselves either in skimpy outfits or near nude are now being damaged by their nude bodies being shown. I mean, it's one of these cute. Well, you can. Well, no, that's just no. That's you can make a case for that if you want to, or you can make a case. You can make any case you want. Certainly. Yes, but I mean that case is no more crazy than any other case. That's just their case. Yes. The question is, can they convince somebody of that? Yes. <laughs> the other thing is that it's impossible to find which 8 to 12 celebrities are actually part of this lawyer's representation. Okay, well, just make it 8 then. Well, anyway, the, some articles <laughs> said 12, some articles said 8. Okay, we'll just talk. take the first 5. Let's take the first 4. Forget the rest of that <laughs> shit. We'll just take the first 4. Anyway, this is a footnote to a discussion had previously. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to discuss this evening? Oh, let me take a look here. I can play a little musical interlude while you're waiting. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that's. Uh, oh, that's nice though. Actually, yes. Still too loud. 
<laughs> it's the frequencies, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's that I one frequency, it's that high frequency. Yeah. It just it just blasts out the microphone. You know what that is? It's Skype reinterprets the signal and then reamplifies the signal based on particular frequencies. Yes, yeah, it's that frequency. Yeah, it's yeah. just it just blows them. But again, if you take it for try an experiment, hold it a little bit further away. Let's see what it sounds like. I'll give, I can give you a fair. Still too loud. <laughs> that is. Two and a half feet away from the. Okay, well, now I'll try it now. This is four feet away. Okay. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's amazing. Four feet away. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. Well, that's what works best. Is no distortion. It's clear. It's still. I can hear all the detail. It. it Very good. Quite good. Very good. Four feet. Shit. Yep. I literally lean backwards. An extension away from the. That's mic. right. You've got a stable mic on your desk. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I occasionally bang the desk in infuriation, but very rarely now. So. Well, it's going to be interesting if I get this um, wireless mic yeah. that actually works. Well, I may not now. Now, you're. How should I? What should I read to find out whether I want to try this or not? Seventy. I mean, seventy bucks is still seventy bucks that I could spend on other stuff if if I didn't waste the, it. The problem here is, Heron. That, I don't know how many different mics have been tested on model rail radio, yeah. but it just it annoys the bejesus out of me to do post production on this clicky crap. So I mean, you're saying in fact you haven't? Yeah, that's what you're saying is that what you're hearing is stuff that's dropping in and out yep. all the time, yep. constantly, and, and clicks, this, and random this, clicks, random clicks, and this is all from wireless. Yes. And and you well, but isn't it possible that you've heard stuff that didn't do that that was wireless, but because it no, didn't do that, you assumed it was wired? No, because I have this conversation periodically with groups of people on Model Rail Radio, particularly when I acknowledge a bad quality mic, I then ask other people what kinds of mics they have. What I've done on Model Rail Radio, particularly because Amazon had a discount on this, is advised everyone to get the same setup that I have, which, funnily yeah. enough, is about eighty bucks, Heron. Yeah, and that is a snowball mic with a pop guard, which plugs in USB and provides yeah. the relatively audio. straightforward yeah. shit. I like a headset, but you, you know, do, and that's the, your exclusivity. Yeah, right, and yeah. that's works. All, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> well, no, I guess I'm out of uh, stuff to talk about. <laughs> it is it is maintaining a temperature in the 90s here even when the temperatures are dipping in your part of the world yeah it's 80 right now yeah outside. i probably should also point out that over the next few weeks our recordings are going to be patchy we'll certainly record next week actually i think we'll be able to record the week following my stepmother comes here from monday through to wednesday. oh we're gonna get her we definitely gotta record when she's here oh my goodness heron yeah you and her together Let's all, let's the three of us have a little chat. <laughs> I don't even know if I could do that with headphones, Heron. It would require you to have headphones and a system where you weren't getting back speak. We'd need to I have that. no idea. Uh, yeah, how, Don't you have a second computer around there somewhere? Yeah, Put it in another that. room. And connect it to the internet. On Skype. Just call do it as a Skype call. I actually have two Skype accounts. So yeah, okay. So that's, Skype. that's a trivial thing to do. I mean, that's pretty risky shit, but, but, uh, if you're up to it, I'm up to it. That would be fun. I don't know whether, I don't know whether my stepmother would be up to it. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Do you think she would? Yeah. Like I say, I can, I can deal with it. Uh, although, like I say, I, uh, well, no, it'd be, it's actually easy for me because I don't know shit about anything. So what the fuck do I know? <laughs> you know, you know all sorts of shit. <laughs> yeah, I think 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it may be easier actually. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether any of these people it would be easy to do what we do. Yeah. I well, no, know. we wouldn't be doing what we do. We'd be doing what the three of us do, which would be who knows what. Yes. What put the burden on them? You're the new guy, new guy here, new girl here. What do you got to say? Yeah. Well, independently has of she this, heard any of this stuff? I don't think so. I don't think really my family has. Uh, this is one of the curiosities that really no one <laughs> I know, because they know me, yeah. have any interest in this stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, uh, screw them. Who cares what they think? The, the, herein lies the problem. Yeah. Well, but I mean, that, that, if that's as, as much thought as they give to you, well, they certainly don't deserve any more than that. Yeah. The nature of deserving here is interesting, but yet I, well, I don't... just for your own sanity. One person I will be recording with within the next week, hopefully, is Liz Swan. And I will certainly make that recording available to everyone. And, uh, yeah. Liz maybe that Swan is who? Liz Swan is a former academic who was part of the Biota Recordings, who now does computer security stuff. And she wrote, or she edited a book that I was a part of, and she wrote another book associated with the philosophy of the Transformers. I've, through various bits of listener correspondence, been asked to interject a female voice into my general podcast recordings. And because the folks who've requested this seem to, you know, deal with this kind of stuff, I'm interested. And you've got a history with her. I mean, she knows, you guys know each other. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, she certainly has a relatively good opinion of me, which may or may not well, continue to really so far. So far, <laughs> up until now. Um, so yeah, well, we will see how that works out. But yeah, that's coming in the near future as well, folks. Cool. Heron, it's been a fantastic night as always. I look forward to talking to you next week. Maybe Thursday, maybe Friday. We'll play it by you. Whatever works for you will be fine. Terrific. I'll okay. talk to you soon, Heron. Take Good care. Night.